0: Is the Investment Intelligence Podcast by Allianz Global Investors, sharing knowledge about all things investing.
1: Hello, everybody. I'm your host, JP Vicente, and you're listening to the Investment Intelligence Podcast. My guest today is Justin Cass, one of the senior portfolio managers on the income and growth team for Allianz Global Investors. In this position, Justin is able to deploy capital across multiple asset classes, which makes him just the right guy to talk to when it comes down to understanding the current environment in the financial markets. And the fact that he's as sharp as they come doesn't really hurt either. We covered a lot in this episode: the steep rise in long-term rates in the U.S., the new $1.9 trillion relief package signed recently by President Biden, the debate about the future direction of inflation. What's next in the? and acquisitions arena, and a lot more. And as always, we like to translate the macro and micro environments into actionable ideas for investors to consider. So I picked Justin's brain on where he sees opportunities today, especially in U.S. high-yield bonds, convertibles, and equities. I truly enjoyed our conversation, and I'm confident you will too. Ah, and I have a pretty nerdy cultural recommendation today, so make sure to stick around for that. So now, without any further ado, let's get right to it. Hi, Justin. Thanks for being here with us today. Before we get started, please tell us who you are and what you do here at Allianz Global Investors.
2: Thanks for having me on the show. My name is Justin Kass, and I'm a Senior Portfolio Manager at Allianz Global Investors. The focus of my team is on convertible bonds, high-yield bonds, and equities.
1: Thanks, Justin, and welcome back to the podcast. A lot has changed since we last spoke in in October last year, quite candidly. We have a new administration in the United States, a new $1.9 trillion relief package in the U.S. as well. We have heightened volatility across asset classes and financial markets with special activity on rates, with the 10-year treasury yielding 1.6% by the time they were recording this podcast. That's against 0.75% 0.75% or so when you were here on the show just 4 months ago you know also inflation has now become a point of conversation after after a long while so i thought you'd be the perfect guy to help us make sense of all this and i say this because as a senior portfolio manager in our income and growth team, you are in a very unique position to deploy capital across multiple asset classes. And specifically, I know that you guys have just said as you guys focus on U.S. equities, high yield bonds and convertibles. So let me start there, Justin. Can you contextualize this idea of multi-asset investing in light of the current environment, please?
2: Yeah, great question. So so let's just start with the current environment because there's been a lot recently, as you mentioned, on talk of inflation, talk on interest rates. And a lot of what this is tied to right now is kind of this reopening trade. We're getting back to normal. People are getting vaccinated. The economy is doing better. And the stimulus that we discussed last time on the show, the stimulus you just mentioned, it's starting to flow through and will continue to flow through the economy. And What's interesting on the, all of that is if we are getting back to normal, then we should all expect if we look at what has happened with the 10-year, especially over the last decade, it should go back to the range that it kind of was in pre-COVID, just like the economy is, just like we as individuals hope to resume our normal culture of action. And If you look at where that was over the past decade, it was really between 1.5% and 3%. So. Yes the move has been very staggering you know you mentioned since last time I was on this podcast in October but realistically it's really been over the last month where we've seen that move so we're not surprised to see the 10 year move higher yes we're surprised by the magnitude of the 10 year and how quickly it happened but not at the level of which it is at. We would call this more of a normalized level, which is equated to what people are going back to a more normalized society post what occurred over the last year.
1: That, that makes a lot of sense. Let me, let me extend that conversation because I want to get your take on all of those specific buckets that you focus on. So so let me start with the convertibles market. What's going on in that market today, especially as this is an asset class where technology and healthcare have a large representation. So, so talk to me, Justin, what's going on in that particular asset class now?
2: Yeah, there's really two key themes of that asset class you know as 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 we come into 2021 the first thing is is for the asset class as a whole 2020 was the second best year ever for the convertible market in absolute performance it was up over 40% and that the last time we saw return profiles like that goes back to the 2008 9 time period coming out of the great financial crisis The second thing that was very unique to the convertible market, and we discussed this a little bit in October, was the massive amount of new issuance we've seen in the convertible market. When we started 2020, the convertible market was under $200 in size. In 2020, we had over $100 billion of new issuance in the convertible market, And with a positive move higher, the market closed close to 350 billion in size. So just significant growth in the convertible market. You did mention some household sectors as far as an overweight in technology or a heavier weight in technology relative to other markets similar, you mentioned healthcare. We've also seen new issuance come in the consumer discretionary landscape and also financial. So there is some broad representation. Of the convertible market. So I just wanted to highlight that there's more diversification in the convertible market relative to just technology and healthcare.
1: Justin, one of the key traits of this particular asset class, like the convertibles asset class, is its asymmetric upside-downside return potential. So I mean, being a hybrid security can offer higher participation in the underlying stocks appreciation than depreciation. So Talk to me about this. Is this asymmetry likely to help investors during this, say, transitional period as the as the market gets back to normal? Has or has the opportunity been diminished as rates rise and 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 as the market sort of normalizes itself?
2: Yeah, so for investors who are not familiar with the convertible market, you talked about this asymmetric risk reward. And just to remind people of why there's an asymmetric risk return, it's really because there's two components to a convertible bond. There's the fixed income component, which it pays a coupon. It has a stated maturity. And at maturity, you get your principal back. There's also this convertible feature, the right to convert into a fixed number of common shares. So you have that bond component, which gives you the downside protection, and you have that right to convert into a common stock, which essentially gives you that unlimited upside. So if you put those two characteristics together, you do get an asset class as a whole that has that asymmetric risk return, which is upside participation and downside protection. The reason that I mentioned that that new issue, convertible, and why it's so important to the convertible market when you have that amount of new issuance is because your typical new issue convertible bond is what market participants call a total return convertible bond. Those convertible bonds typically have that asymmetric risk return where you're capturing Roughly 60 to 80% of the upside or 50% or less of the downside. So when you talk about have we missed the move or does that asymmetric risk return not exist anymore, as long as there's new issuance, as long as we continue to see the trends we've seen, then the market as a whole should continue to have those favorable traits that we're looking for with that upside participation and downside protection.
1: Justin, talk to me about this balance of supply and demand in the convertibles market. Uh, are you expecting issuance to continue? Uh, are you How are you looking at that balance of supply and demand?
2: When we came into 2021, we kind of thought it would be fair to say that each quarter we would see $15 billion of new issuance, which would equate to what we and other market strategists were talking about is roughly $60 billion of new issuance for the year. So far through the first quarter, we've almost seen $30 billion of new issuance. So the trend that we saw in the fourth quarter of 2020 actually accelerated in the first quarter of 2021. And I think part of the reason that is, is how you started the conversation with a move in interest rates. There is a rush if a company has not secured financing, if a company hasn't pushed out maturities, if a company hasn't locked in low interest rates, time is running out. So I think we're starting to see companies want to get this lower interest rate. Yes, they've moved higher, but they're still, when you put it in context of where we've been, they're still relatively low. So I think the dynamic of the first quarter was probably more than what we anticipated or was more than what most strategists anticipated. And probably going forward, it's going to be hard to keep up with the pace that we saw in Q1, but it's going to still lead to a great quarter or a great year of new issuance in the convertible market.
1: Let me switch to to high yield now. Talk to me about credit spreads in general, high yield in particular, and uh, especially in light of this recent steep rise in yields.
2: Yeah. So when, when it comes to the high yield asset class, we really need to bifurcate between credit spreads and the interest rate move. When you think of how you open, where last October, we were talking about stimulus has already happened. We passed a 1.9 trillion stimulus bill. There's an infrastructure bill. There's a reopening of the economy. All of this leads to, or should lead to, improving earnings, improving economic growth. And if you've seen a majority of strategists, they've taken up U.S. GDP forecast. Why that's important to the high-yield market, why that's important to credit spreads is historically, if you look at improving economies, that tends to lead to improving credit spreads or not widening credit spreads. Meaning that even if you have a move up In interest rates, the high-yield asset class should do better than core fixed income or investment grade or treasuries for that matter. So year-to-date, we've actually seen credit spread tightening a little bit in the high-yield market, and that is different when you compare it to core fixed income, where there's very little movement available for credit spread tightening as a whole so the high yield market should do better than other fixed income instruments in a rising interest rate environment because of the higher coupon it pays and also because of its ability in an improving economy to maybe see tighter credit spreads
1: listening to you now i remember that a year ago a lot of the conversation orbited around uh, a potential large wave of defaults, a large number of so-called fallen angels, and although we did experience a bit of both, reality turned out to be much less daunting. Let's put it this way that some 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 had forecast. So, what is the state of the market now, or the market today, from a liquidity and a solvency perspective, and and where do you think we're headed next?
2: Yeah, it's it's funny when you think of all markets, reality versus. You know, expectations is, you know, that's what makes a the market. There's the expectations and there's reality. So you're right. In a very daunting scenario, and, you know, the, when COVID hit and everything went to lockdown, it you know, no one knows what's going to happen. So it's always the expectation and reality always differ. And we're noticing that a lot of the companies that are issuing high yield today are refinancing, They're pushing maturities. They're lowering their cost of interest expense. And a lot of that goes into what we already discussed. We're having an improving economy. The stimulus is flowing through. You've seen a little bit of tightening of credit spreads. And companies that people were a little bit more worried about their ability to get financing are starting to get financing. And you're seeing it with airlines, with cruise lines. Energy companies' capital continues to flow, and as long as there's capital capital availability, then you know we we anticipate or the market anticipates that credit spread should remain in a relatively tight level, and default rates should stay at a relatively depressed level when we you know compared to historical ranges.
1: That's interesting. Let me pick up on that because I would like to ask you where you see opportunities today.
2: We think investors should focus on companies that have improving earnings expectations because ultimately, we think earnings matter most when it comes to outperformance for individual asset classes.
1: Great. Well, so now we were talking earnings. Uh, let me turn to the equity market because I want to get your views on that as well. So what are your current views on stocks? We have had a lot of gyration, a lot of sector rotation. We have value coming in. We have uh, growth kind of going back and forth. It's uh, It's very volatile. Talk to me about it.
2: So it's not Unexpected to have periods of volatility. And when you look at some of the names that have sold off most recently, they were actually the best performers in 2020. And likewise, some of the names that investors are moving into are names that were not the best performers in 2020, but maybe they're improving fundamentally in 2021 and 2022. So investors are forward looking in their belief of companies. Again, going back to what we think investors should focus on, whether it's a growth company, whether it's a value company, yes, you can have movements, and in some cases, violent movements in short periods of time. But ultimately, it's going to go back to the fundamentals of company and growth companies that continue to meet or exceed expectations. It shouldn't be unsurprising if those companies continue to outperform. And Likewise, if we start seeing a natural handoff in some of these more consumer discretionary plays or reopening plays where we begin to see those companies have better fundamentals, meet earnings expectations or exceed earnings expectations, then it would not be surprising for investors to expect those to continue to outperform. So, I don't think we're in a market where value has to win and growth has to lose. I think we're actually in a market right now that's trying to figure out what does the reopening trade look like, how high do interest rates go, when is the Fed possibly going to raise interest rates, how much infrastructure bill is going to be passed, and what does that look like, what are the taxes that might be put on individual or on companies going forward. So the market's digesting a lot. But once we get through the noise, it's going to fall back to what the market usually always falls back on, and that is earnings and earnings growth. And investors are typically rewarded when they focus on companies that are meeting or exceeding expectations. And again, once we get through this noise, uh, we won't be surprised if that plays out again.
1: Let me try to take your view on, on valuations. I mean, we're recording this on the on the 12th of March. So, So talk to me a little bit about it.
2: Investors like to look at price to earnings ratio from a historical perspective and say it's been in this historical range for a time. And if we look at what the current price to earnings ratio, it's on the higher end of the range. So we caution investors to look at it from a perspective of We don't know what the earnings actually is. And why I say that is because if you look at cruise lines, they lost a lot of money in 2020 because they didn't sail. If you look at 2021, there's very limited sailing so far. So there's a good chance that many of these companies will lose money in 2021 and probably a lot of money. 2022, some of these depressed industries from lodging are going to get back to normal. So for these companies, the true earnings power isn't known probably until 2023. So again, the E has a lot of, you can't just look at E because so many of these industries and sectors were hit so hard that they're not at a full earnings rate yet. The other thing to keep in mind is the absolute level of interest rates. If we're trying to compare a price to earnings ratio When you're going back to the 1980s or the 1990s, we are in a significantly different interest rate environment today than we were at that time. So when we look at the acquisition landscape or what companies can do when they can borrow money significantly lower than they could 20 to 30 years ago, it's usually positive for a company. So we just caution investors that Looking at the price-to-earnings ratio without putting in context of everything going on in the marketplace could be a, a little misleading. The last thing I would leave it on is it goes back to what we discussed already. Stimulus is flo- still flowing through. One point nine trillion just got in signed in place. That hasn't even started. The infrastructure bill hasn't even started. So again, there's we're still in a recovery phase. And until we get through what this recovery phase looks like, I don't know what we're going to get a sense of the true earnings power of what this economy is.
1: Let me stay with that a little bit—the same theme, but 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 perhaps explore a different aspect of it. You know, you mentioned this already in in this in this uh, today earlier today in the podcast that a lot of companies as interest rates dropped uh, dramatically they've been low for a while but dropped even more dramatically uh, even in pre-pandemic times but definitely after that we saw a lot of companies taking advantage of that to issue more debt to issue more convertibles to shore up their balance sheets as you as you pointed out already so that makes a lot of sense but now rates are on the rise and the question is are they going to normalize or they're going to extrapolate that normalization, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you think companies will do from here? Do, do you think they're going to deleverage and, and seek to pay down some of that debt? Or conversely, are we getting ready for a new cycle of leverage buyouts and a new round of M&A activity? What, 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 what do you think that means you know, for, for investors?
2: If we look short-term at what we've seen already in the marketplace... It does look like we're going to get another decent wave of acquisitions. We're starting to see a lot of, I don't want to say massive, large acquisitions, but we're certainly seeing many companies making, I don't want to say tuck-in acquisitions, which are smaller, but we're definitely seeing the acquisition landscape uh, look very attractive. And it, and it makes sense. We do have stock prices that have moved higher. We do have a lower cost of capital. So if you take those two components together, I don't think investors should be surprised that companies are going to utilize both their stock prices and debt to make acquisitions. And that should be good for both the convertible market when it comes to new issuance, because that can be a source of financing. And it should also be good for the fixed income markets because you know, we can continue to see growth of those marketplaces also as the acquisition landscape improves.
0: I also
1: wanted to learn a little bit more about your research and your, your decision-making process. So, so, let me elaborate what I mean by that. Because you're buying both stocks and bonds and and you have a very bottom up approach to security selection how do you distinguish the companies that you're analyzing and how do you decide which part of the capital structure you want to be invested in at any given point in time
2: we think investors should focus on identifying companies that have the best fundamentals and once they have identified companies with the best fundamentals Then they should determine what part in the capital structure has the most favorable asymmetric risk return. And depending where we are in a market cycle for investors, that could be the high yield bond, that could be the total return convertible bond, or that possibly could be the equity with a covered call strategy on top of that.
1: Great. Thanks for that. Uh, one of the things that I know about you, Justin, is you're a very straight shooter. So, so talk to me about risks. Where do you see them today? What pitfalls should investor be mindful of these days?
2: Yeah, you are right. Risk. Risk are everywhere we go. And, and you know, as a portfolio manager, our, our jobs and investors' jobs are to do our best to minimize risk. So if we look at the broad markets right now, it seems like it's pretty balanced between tailwinds and possible headwinds. We've discussed the improving earnings outlook. We've impr- talked about the stimulus that's starting to flow through. We've talked about companies in the acquisition landscape. So I'd put those as positive tailwinds. And then the offset of that is the possible impacts of what all this stimulus does to inflation and does inflation lead to higher interest rates, and it seems, again, to be pretty balanced in the marketplace. So, We think investors are rewarded right now to take risks because we believe that tailwinds right now are a little more favorable than the headwinds.
1: Still on that topic, um, as more and more folks are now considering making their portfolios more sustainable. I wonder how you're looking at ESG-related risks, in particular, climate risk. What's your take on this?
2: Yeah, great question. Uh, When you look at the average company and what they're doing, everyone's well aware of the importance of ESG. Um, There's been a lot of mandates. We're starting to see green bonds actually come in the convertible market. So we're very happy with the efforts that we're seeing from individual companies again, it's a very important topic for the individual investor. And we're really happy with the progress that we're seeing, not only with the mandates that are coming to market, but also the company's drive and initiatives to become more positive and more favorable on their ESG score. So, it's again, we think it's going to be something that investors are going to face you know, for the better part of this decade. But it, I feel that for the first time, we have everybody aligned going in a favorable direction, and that should be a positive outcome for not only us as portfolio managers, but also for investors.
1: That's great, Justin. We we have covered a lot of ground here today, and it's been a great conversation, and I thank you very much for your insights. Thanks for being here with us and sharing your thoughts with us. But before I let you go, we have a tradition here on the show that uh, we talk and get our cultural recommendation from our guests. So, what is it that you have been doing? You know, when you're not looking at financial markets these days,
2: uh, my life's pretty boring. Um, we've been very a very good COVID family of not doing anything and not going anywhere. Uh, so I am more looking forward to maybe going out to dinner. I don't think I've been out to dinner since the summer of 2020. Um, I haven't been around groups of people. Uh, I have been enjoying a little bit of surfing. So, uh, that's the one nice outdoor activity that I've been doing, but I'm just looking forward to not being the boring person that I've been. Uh, for the past year. And so hopefully next time you invite me on the show, I can share something that I've done exciting that's not sitting in my house and sitting in my neighborhood.
1: From, from your mouth uh, from your mouth to, to God's ear, Justin, uh, we're all looking forward to that, too. So, that's great. I have a, a recommendation as well. And in, in this case, it's a very wonky one today. It's basically a recent conversation with uh, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers and uh, Nobel Prize winning economist Paul Krugman. And I guess it was more like a debate rather than a conversation since they had quite different points of view on the issues. The event was organized by Uh, Princeton University. It's about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes long, and it's available for free on YouTube. Uh, The topic of discussion is the long-term impact of relief and stimulus plans on the economy, you know, so they're, they're taking a very macro approach to this, but it's an interesting discussion. And of course, it's especially interesting in light of, we just talked about this, uh, Biden's 1.9 trillion relief plan that was approved by Congress and signed by him, you know, quite frankly, just days before we're recording this podcast. So like I said, it's it's a wonky recommendation, but one that in my view, is very much worth the time. So I'll put a link to the video uh, in our show notes. So you can follow that for the listeners would like to, to 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 take a look and to check it out. And with that, I'd like to thank you, Justin, once again for spending time with us today. And as always, thank you all so very much for listening. Stay safe, everybody.
2: Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in.
1: Thank you very much for listening quick reminder that you can subscribe to the investment intelligence podcast on apple podcasts spotify or google podcasts and if you enjoyed this episode please rate us on your preferred podcast platform it really makes a difference once again thanks for listening this podcast was recorded on march 12 2021
0: investing involves risk the value of an investment and the income from it will fluctuate and investors may not get back the principal invested Past performance is not indicative of future performance. This is a marketing communication. It is for informational purposes only. The information contained in this recording does not constitute investment advice or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any security and shall not be deemed an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. The views and opinions expressed herein, which are subject to change without notice, are those of the issuer or its affiliated companies at the time of publication. Certain data referenced are derived from various sources believed to be reliable, but the accuracy or completeness of the data is not guaranteed and no liability is assumed for any direct or consequential losses arising from their use. The duplication, publication, extraction, or transmission of the contents, irrespective of the form, is not permitted. This recording has not been reviewed by any regulatory authorities. In mainland China, it is used only as supporting material to the offshore investment products offered by commercial banks under the Qualified Domestic Institutional Investor Scheme pursuant to applicable rules and regulations. This recording is being distributed by Allianz Global Investors and its affiliates. For a complete list of affiliated entities, please visit AllianzGI.com.